Well, hello, everybody. Hello. Here we are again. We are online only for a little while. And look, I know that this decision was not easy for many of us to hear. This was hard. This was devastating. And frankly, to imagine entering into the holidays without being able to worship together in person, it's awful and I get it. And I'm, I'm sorry that this is the reality that we're facing. But I want to share again, as we face the prospect of these next few weeks, I, I, I want to share again why we're doing this. Why we're doing this. Our community, the community that we are a part of, it is, it is in crisis right now. Hospitals are filling up fast. Uh, people are dying. And we, as representatives of Jesus, the light of the world, remember, that's us, we need to lead the way right now in compassion for our neighbors. That's who we need to be, which is why we are together making a short-term sacrifice to minimize risk in spreading this disease. That's what this is about. We are doing it out of self-giving love for our neighbors, for our community. Now, that's all challenging, that's hard, that's difficult, but there is a silver lining in all of this, and that's the fact that it's 2020, and we have access to some incredible technology these days, which allows us to keep worshiping together at a distance. And I'll tell you what, the first time we went through this back in the spring, we learned a lot. We learned an awful lot. And so as we head into December and Christmas and the holidays, we're leaning into what we've learned. And we are going to be building on that in some really, really cool ways. Our Christmas series, the December series, it is going to be completely unique. I mean, I'm telling you, it is going to be very, very cool. We've got all kinds of really cool uh, worship. Our, our team did, did some of their own arrangements. We filmed off-site. It's going to be very special, very cool. And our messages, well, I'll just say we're doing them in a way that we've never done before. And when you see Tim's message in the third week of this series, I'll tell you what, it is going to be memorable. That's all I'll say. It is going to be memorable. Look forward to that. We've got all kinds of other stuff that go along with the services, though. We've got our Christmas boxes, uh, which you heard Amy talk about at the beginning of the service. Uh, we've, got, we've got a whole bunch of stuff for, for our kids and student ministries. We've got bonus content on our website. Um, and I, I love this little detail. I mean, everybody's been kind of really chipping in on our teams and doing what they can. Our Grace Kids team actually came up with science experiments that are easy to do at home that go along with each of the topics of the four weeks of our December series. So cool. So um, there's a lot to look forward to, even though this is definitely not the same. Worshiping at home by yourself or, or you know, maybe with just your family, it's not the same as worshiping in a sanctuary. We, we know that. We get that. Um, so here's what we're doing to kind of try to bridge the gap a little bit in the fact that uh, it's not just the same. We're, we're doing this. First, we're going to be starting a new ritual together. It's a very small thing, but I, I think it's going to be important. At the beginning of every one of our services, starting in December, we're going to start something where we together light a candle. Wherever we are, wherever we're watching, we're going to light a candle together. And that does two things. First, it represents the Holy Spirit in our midst. It represents the fact that we are, we are worshiping Jesus and he's with us. Um, but it also it connects us to one another. You know when you light that candle that everybody else who's watching the service with you is lighting that candle as well. And it's a, it's a unifying thing that we're doing. That's a small thing. The other thing that we're doing, though, 
is that we're, we're encouraging you to pursue virtual and perhaps even in-person watch parties uh, for our services. Here's what I mean. Online, we are introducing some new tools that you'll hear about in the next uh, few weeks, which will allow you to experience the service um, simultaneously with a small group of other people. It won't be just a, a chat with hundreds and hundreds of people. It'll actually be a way for you to, um, to experience the, the service virtually with a small group. And you can have that group, even if you don't already have a life group, you'll be with them throughout the whole series. So that's going to be cool. We also know that uh, many of you have individuals or families in your life that you've, you've been close to, you feel safe to, you kind of are sharing each other's germs. Maybe they're your, your quarantine crew. And if that's true of you, if you've got that quarantine crew, we are going to make it very easy for you to have an in-person watch party with them to be able to watch as families or individuals together with those that you feel safe uh, being around. So um, that's happening. And finally, on Christmas Eve, uh, again, the details on this are coming, but on Christmas Eve at all three of our campuses, we are going to be having a safe outdoor uh, Christmas carol sing-along time with candles and everything on Christmas Eve. And it's going to be uh, just a beautiful way to be with one another, even though we can't uh, be in the same physical space inside. So all that is coming, all that to say, no matter your situation, no matter what you're facing right now or what, this, what the prospect of worshiping online looks like for you, you are not going to go through December alone, all right? We are going to be with you and you are going to be with others in this community as we worship together. But one final thought. Amy hinted at that. She, she mentioned this, but um, those Christmas boxes, those really are a perfect way for you to invite somebody to attend Grace Church, someone who does not have a church home, maybe someone who isn't even sure how they feel about God. It is the easiest possible time to invite someone to our church because they don't even have to come to a physical building. They can just tune in from home. So consider getting one of those boxes for someone in your life, maybe multiple people in your life that you can, uh, you know, invite them, use that box as a way to invite them to participate in what we are experiencing as a family, okay? The boxes are free. Go ahead and grab one and, and give it to a neighbor or friend or coworker or classmate. All right? This is maybe your one, the person that you've been hoping and praying for for years. This may be the chance that God is going to use to bring that person to, to their journey of faith. You never know. So consider doing that as we head into the December series. Okay. All right. Sorry. That's, I just wanted to talk to you guys about all of that because in the midst of a challenging decision, there's some exciting stuff coming. Now, before we dive into today's message, if you wouldn't mind, I'd just love for us to pray together. So let's pray. Father God, as we open your word today, uh, my prayer is very simple. I pray uh, that any of the words that I say uh, in, in what I'm about to share, that I would just disappear. And I pray that your words would remain, that your Holy Spirit would speak today, and that we would have ears to hear what it is that you have for us today. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, whose words we are looking at now. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, this is week three of our series, Outrageous. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which includes, uh, it's a sermon that Jesus gave, and it includes some of the most provocative things that he ever shared, right? So, like, he said things like, the poor are the ones who are blessed by God, or uh, you should be happy when you're being persecuted, or love your enemies, Pray for those who hate you, okay? You, you get the idea. This is provocative stuff. And what he's doing, as we've seen, is he's completely upending our assumptions about how the world works. 
He's calling us to live as he lived in the world. Because as we've talked about, it is really the only way to for our world to experience any level of true healing. And frankly, look, in this time that we are living in right now, in 2020, in this time of pandemics and political divisions and anxiety and hatred, we need to know what kind of lifestyle we can live that's actually going to bring healing to what we're experiencing, don't we? So that's why we're looking at the words of Jesus. Today, we're going to look at a part of his Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about, uh, he teaches his followers how to pray. Uh, it's, it's often called the Lord's Prayer, and you, you've for sure heard it, even if you don't really know all of it. Uh, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I'm sure you've heard that before at some point. Well, today we're going to look at it. Now, real quick, at first glance, when you think about this topic of how to pray, it kind of seems out of place in this whole sermon about radical lifestyle transformation, doesn't it? It seems a little odd that we'd be looking at this little thing about prayer. But as we're going to see, this prayer, frankly, it, it fits perfectly in this message because it's not a prayer about um, just things to say. It is a prayer that actually leads to our lives being transformed. So let's dive in and take a look. Uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles, and if you would, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Now, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, which starts down at verse 9, but before we do that, we have to look at the context. We always talk about the world of the text, right? How this passage connects with other ones, and the context for the Lord's Prayer actually starts in verse 1. Let me show you what I mean. Let's read this. This is what Jesus says in verse 1. Watch out, Jesus says. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Look, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they've received all the reward that they're ever going to get. But when you give to someone in need, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites do who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward that they'll ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on, on and on as the people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. No, don't be like them. For your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Now, we'll stop there for just a second before we look at the actual prayer. Because in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is he's setting up a concept. He's, he's painting the picture of a way of living uh, well, two different ways of living, uh, or you could say two different approaches to religion. The first approach, that, as he describes it, is that of the hypocrites. Hypocrites. Now, the Greek word here is hypocrites. Uh, hypocrites. It originally, in in like long before Jesus, the Greek word it was literally an actor, somebody who was a uh, you know playing a part on the stage. That's what it meant. But as words often do, it started to take on more metaphorical meaning. And by the time of Jesus, the word hypocrites, hypocrite, it had come to mean pretty much anybody who was doing things that weren't genuine. Anybody who was, you know, putting on a show in, in, in essence. 
It's similar to the way that we use the word hypocrite today, but not entirely. We, when we say someone's being a hypocrite, it usually means what? Uh, they're, they're saying something, but then they're doing something else. Well, for Jesus, what it really means is someone who does something, but that thing that they're doing isn't real. It, it, it doesn't actually reflect what's going on in their heart. It's a show, in other words. They're hypocrites. That's what he means when he uses this word. And I love the picture that he paints here. Uh, th this, he's using hyperbole and he's being, I think, ridiculous to make a point. This gets lost in translation, but this is one of those moments that I think he would have had his audience laughing out loud. Uh, Jesus is painting the picture of uh, a person giving alms or, or giving a, a, a donation to somebody who's in need. Maybe it's a, an orphan or a widow begging on the street corner and they're giving them their money. But instead of just giving them money, they're like throwing this massive parade and they've got, you know, like just trumpets and streamers and dancing bears and I don't even know. And I could imagine him probably elaborating on this until you know, for effect, getting everyone laughing. I mean, it's ridiculous because think of it. Uh, you know, he, he's talking about, uh, he's talking about someone giving money to somebody and instead of just being nice, all of a sudden you can hear like the parade trumpets. You hear the announcers going, behold, a truly generous man. And, oh, oh yes, Bob, I love his sweater. It's so beautiful. And look, oh, here comes the Snoopy float. And it's, it's ridiculous, right? Now, who would ever give with that much fanfare? And Jesus is like, look, that parade, that's all they're ever going to get, right? That's the value that they're getting out of this because whatever, whatever good that's doing them is pretty much just then and there. A bit later on uh, in verse 16, we won't look too much at this, but in verse 16, Jesus describes a similar picture, but he's talking about hypocrites who are fasting. Now, fasting is a, it's a way of not eating food for a period of time as a way of showing your devotion to God. But the hypocrites that he's describing here, instead of, you know, just kind of going on about their business and internally processing their hunger, no, no, they are, they want everybody to know. So they're messing up their hair, they're, you know, wearing like rough clothes and they're like, oh, I'm so hungry. You see, it's because I'm, I'm fasting, you understand? I, I just am so devoted to God. You know, and it's like, it's ridiculous. Come on. Like, again, Jesus's point in all of this is really clear, okay? In all these things, in our religion, in, in the way that we pray, in the way that we fast, all of it, what matters is not our outward signs of, of how pious we are, right? It's not about the, the doing all the right things for the world to see. True religion, it's a matter of the heart, True religion is a matter of the heart. It, it, he's raising the question, what posture do we take internally? What posture do we take in our relationship to God? Are we hypocrites, right? Are we, are we putting on a show when we talk about being followers of Jesus? Or is our faith true and deep and genuine? Which is it? So, okay, that is the context into which Jesus is talking about how to pray. Again, verse 5, he says, don't, don't pray like it's some kind of public spectacle. Or verse 7, don't just babble on and on and on. It, prayer is not about quantity. It's about quality, right? The quality of the heart. Put simply, he's basically saying here, look, don't pray like a hypocrite. Don't pray like an actor, Pray because it's real. So that is the context into which he tells us the Lord's prayer. He says, here's how you should pray. 
So let's read that and then we'll, we'll take a look at what it means. It says, don't pray like a hypocrite, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, that seems like a pretty simple prayer, right? It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot going on there, but believe me, there is. There is depth to this. So let's take a look at this. Um, interestingly, none of the things that Jesus says there, none of the parts of this prayer are actually original to him. He didn't really make any of this up necessarily. What he's doing is he's pulling together these common elements of, of different Jewish prayers and Jewish traditions and um, ideas from the Bible. He's bringing them all together into this small package, which points directly again to the posture that we take in our faith. And I'll give away the ending right now. This is where we're going with this. This posture of how we pray, this posture in our hearts is not the posture of a hypocrite. Our prayers are, are not the prayers of hypocrites, of actors. Every line of this prayer flows directly out of a posture of humble trust. Okay? A posture of humble trust. For example, that first line, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Now this line, this was actually a very common Jewish prayer. Uh, it was, it, it actually became very common even in the days after Jesus. Many, many Jewish people pray it even today. But in this context, remember we're talking about hypocrites and genuine faith. In this context, it is a reminder that we, all of us, depend on God. He's our Father. Our father. Now, in the ancient world, in that context, fathers, uh, the father figure in your family, represented uh, provision and protection and teaching and well-being. Uh, I mean, it, it, you know, it's not exactly that strongly held today, but back then, fathers, that was all, that was what a father was, right? God the Father is the one who makes our life possible. He's the provider. If anyone deserves a parade on the street, it's him, right? So Jesus goes on. He says, okay, God is our father, the provider. May your name be kept holy, holy. Now, holy means uh, something that's set apart, that's other. And, and so what he's saying here by saying, may your name be kept holy, he's saying, may your reputation, your identity, who you are, may that be uncorrupted by the things of this broken world. Okay, may your name be kept holy. Now, in other words, in other words, this is a prayer, at least in our hearts when we pray this, we are praying that God would truly be the God beyond our understanding. The God that we can't wrap our minds around. God who is, who is not one that we, you know, that we create and try to stuff into a box so that we can understand him, but the God who's beyond our minds. May your name be kept holy. So put simply, he is our father, right? First, we depend on him. And second, he is completely holy. He's beyond us. That's what we are starting our prayer with. This is, again, a prayer of humble trust because this first line reminds us of our place. Okay, we'll keep going. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we talk a lot here at Grace about the kingdom of God. 
the rule and the reign of God in our world. This prayer is simply that the world would be run by God's agenda, not mine, not ours. And by extension, that our lives would be completely aligned with his purposes and not ours. Uh, It's like saying, God, I'm going to work to make sure that this world looks the way that you, my king, want it to look. That's what this prayer is. So again, do you see how this is a prayer about our posture that we're taking? Uh, It's not about me. It's about you, God. What do you want? Whatever you want, let's let that happen on the earth. That's what I want. Verse 11 is when it gets a little bit even more intense. It says, give us today the food we need. Literally in Greek, the, uh, the word is our daily bread. Now notice what it doesn't say. It does not say, God, give us storehouses full of grain so that I never have to worry about food. No, we're asking for bread for today. Tomorrow, it's going to be the same prayer. It is a matter of trust, of trust. And you know what he's referencing here? He's actually referencing manna in the wilderness. If you go back and look at the Old Testament story in Exodus of of, uh, God rescuing the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, uh, he's taking them through through the wilderness and he's providing for them daily with manna, bread that sort of just shows up on the ground. That was how he, he provided for them every day. But it was daily bread because if they took more than they needed for that one day, everything that was extra would rot. So basically, they had no choice but to trust that God was going to provide for them today and for tomorrow and for the day after tomorrow. I mean, this was a matter of trust. And Jesus is saying that we should be taking the exact same posture. Of course, in the Lord's Prayer, I think this is about more than just food. It's about more than just food. Because think about our lives, right? We spend so much of our time worrying about money or the future or our health or our family. There's a reason our anxiety is through the roof right now. We worry. We worry. Praying for daily bread, it's like praying, God, I trust that you will see me through this today. And then tomorrow, it's like praying, God, I trust you to see me through this today. And then the next day after that, God, I trust you to see me through this today. On and on. This is a bold posture, a bold posture to take. Frankly, it is especially bold in our culture because our culture, suburban America, it, everything around us tells us to stock up, right? Stock up, be on the safe side, be prepared, take care of yourself. Praying for daily bread, that is hard in a very self-sufficient culture. It is so easy for us, especially with this, to be hypocrites. Hypocrites who, who, you know, we say, oh yeah, God provides for us. I'm so blessed by all that he gives us. But look, in our hearts, we know that when push comes to shove, we are the ones who provide for ourselves. We can get ourselves out of a jam. So this is a tough thing for us to pray. But, but imagine if daily bread actually was our posture every single day. Imagine how generous we would be with what we have today if we truly believed that God was going to meet all of our needs tomorrow. You see, everything that we need today is coming from his hands. Everything that we need tomorrow is coming from his hands. So why do I need anything else? How much do I really trust him? It's pretty provocative. 
But then we get into this one. <laughs> Verse 12. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. At first glance, pretty harmless, right? What's the harm in, in praying that? Until you realize what we are actually asking here. This is, this is basically us saying to God, God, I would like for you to forgive my sins, the sins that I've committed against you, in the same way that I forgive the people who have sinned against me. However I, however I forgive them, that's how I want you to forgive me. Uh, God, be gracious to me in the same way that I'm gracious to other people, to those who hurt me. Or, Father, why don't you love me in the same way that I love my enemies? <laughs> okay, all right, okay, wow. Suddenly, I am not so sure that I actually want those things, do I? Because I don't actually do a very good job of loving my enemies or being gracious to other people, do I? I don't, I do kind of hold a grudge and don't really love to forgive. And I sure don't want God to forgive me in that way. So again, humble trust. This is a, a lifestyle transformation. If we want to pray that, we've got to be willing to do the hard work. This is radical. A posture towards our world of loving our enemies. It's crazy. This is us praying, God, I want to show you with my life the way that I want to, you to forgive me. Okay, that, that's crazy. And yet that is what Jesus calls us to pray. There's no hypocrisy there. Yet again, it is a posture of humble trust. Posture of humble trust. Finally, uh, he says, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, there's a lot we could get into here, but I'll just say this. This kind of temptation, what he's talking about here, is something that everybody faces, including Jesus, okay? Everybody faces this kind of temptation. And here's what it boils down to. It is the temptation to turn away from God's intentions for this world. It's the temptation to, to call the shots ourselves, to make ourselves gods, to call the shots of our own life, to pursue our own desires. That's what we are tempted to do all the time. It's the temptation to trust ourselves, to throw ourselves a parade because we think we deserve it. This temptation, this is what the evil one is always trying to get us to do. He's always trying to get us to, to turn inward, to look at our, ourselves, to, to elevate ourselves. Look, the evil one doesn't want us all to be murderers and rapists and warlords. He just wants us to be selfish. Because if he can make us selfish, well, then his job is done. Because he knows that, that if we all just make our own desires, our own advancement, our own wealth, our own success, our own pleasure, our own comfort, if he can make that our primary goal, if he can make that the chief aim of our life, well then shoot, this world is never going to change. Job done, right? If he can make the, the self-giving love of Jesus sound just a little bit ridiculous to us, it's over. Go home. We're done, right? The world's not going to change. God's kingdom stays up in heaven. It doesn't come down here. That's what happens. So, okay, don't let us yield to temptation. Don't let us turn inward. Give us the strength we need to keep you, God, as the, aim, as the chief aim of our life. So there it is. That's the Lord's prayer. This whole prayer, I mean, I mean, as short, as simple as it is, this whole prayer is actually a call to radical living. And yes, it does fit perfectly with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? 
The Lord's Prayer invites us to take a posture of humble trust. This is not the prayer of a hypocrite. It's not the prayer of someone pretending. This is the prayer of someone who trusts that what Jesus says is true. Someone who commits to live their life like him. Humble trust. So, okay. With all that said, here's what I'd like us to do. I think the most perfect application for the Lord's Prayer is to actually pray it. For us to actually pray it together. And so here's what we're going to do. Wherever you are right now, whatever you're doing, I I want to give you some space to talk directly to God. Okay? I'm going to, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer line by line. And I'll I'll give you just a few prompts before each line to give you some, some kind of things to think about as you speak to God. Let this be an opportunity to examine your own posture towards God. You know, is it one of humble trust? Is that your posture or is it something else? Remember, as Jesus said, you don't have to have a bunch of fancy words. You don't have to show off in the way that you pray. Just don't babble on and on. Just just speak from your heart. Be transparent. Be vulnerable with him. He can take it. And, And just a quick little side note. If you're alone, if this is something you'd be comfortable with, try praying out loud. I find that that helps me a lot when I'm trying to pray to God. So consider doing that. Okay, let's pray together. And uh, and we'll start with this prompt. What do you want your relationship with God to look like? As you consider that, pray this with me. And then take a moment to think. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Take a moment to pray. Now, as you continue praying, talk to God about what you think it would look like if your whole life was lived for his purposes. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, speak to God about this. Do you trust him? Yes or no? Why or why not? Give us today the food we need. Our daily bread. with this next line, talk to God about how you're doing right now at loving your enemies. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us.
Finally, take some time to talk to God about areas in your life where you are tempted to be selfish. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Amen. Amen. Friends, this is a complicated time that we're living through. It really is. Sometimes it is hard to know what to think, what to feel, how to live. It's hard. But the Lord's Prayer is a reminder that following Jesus is not about saying all the right things or going through the right religious rituals. It is about living with the right posture, a posture of humble trust. No, it is not easy. It is not always easy. There are plenty of temptations to draw us away, right? There's plenty of temptations, but the invitation from Jesus is always open. It's when we say yes to that invitation, when we, when we say yes to his invitation to follow him, that is when we start to experience true and genuine healing. Yes, in our own lives, but also in the world around us. So friends, will you say yes Will you say yes? Because if you do, well then buckle up because then I imagine that the world around you is gonna start looking a lot more like the kingdom of God coming to earth just as it is in heaven.